Hey everybody, it's Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. And I'm going to start by just talking about the best way you can support this podcast, which is supporting my Patreon page. Patreon is a membership support site that allows creators like me to create membership content for folks like you that may have specific value for you. Maybe you just love me and you love my work in the world, making the world safe for people to love themselves. Then that's great. That's an easy sell. Please head to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash FKDP. But if you want to know what's going on in there, I have so much fun stuff, most especially my weekly online Fat Kid Dance Party aerobics class. At any point, you have four classes available to you, a 10-minute, a 20-minute, a 45-minute, and a 50- to 60-minute class, Um, and they're all via Vimeo, which is streaming worldwide, and it's just a great way for me to film my live classes. Sometimes it's just me teaching to you directly. Sometimes you're peeking in on one of my tour classes. I'll be teaching in San Francisco next week and Seattle next week. Um, It makes it sound fancier than I really am. I'm just like down here in California for a wedding and then I live near Seattle. So not really gallivanting around right now. But listen, you can come to my tour classes if you're a member um, at that weekly online uh, level as many of my tour classes as I can make available for members of my Patreon. I do. And also, even at the 2 or $5 level, you get access to Bevan's Bites, which is a podcast of mini episodes just for folks in my Patreon feed. And it's all about self-care, self-love, and little stories from my life about how I resolve triggers and go through stuff. And it's just shared just for you. So thank you so much for considering supporting my podcast. And also, most especially, thanks for listening to my podcast. I'm here with today's guest, Skip Bacon. Hello. Her, her real name. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Skip Bacon is me. Baptized Sarah Rochelle, but Skip Bacon is it now. That's what everybody calls me. I love the name Skip so much. That's good. It's Unless people good. think I'm a hardcore vegan, and then they just go like all out, and they're like, Skip Bacon, that's like the way to live life. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I support your meat decisions. Um <laughs> I, however, just eat regular amounts of meat because then I go, sometimes I go hardcore and I'm like, no, I eat so much meat. And I'm like, ooh, no, you don't. Be normal. And then I'm like, no, but like I support your life. And then some people go real hardcore the other way. And they're like, you know what? You vegans are ruining everything. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a, oh, just want to live my life. And literally a week ago, someone's like, I didn't make the reservation when you called in because I thought I was a prank because whose name is Skip Bacon? And I'm like, so we don't have. We don't have a table is what you're saying. No, I did not make your reservation. I thought your name was a prank. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. Wow. When I hear Skip, all I think is like someone who works at a 50s diner. Exactly. Or Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Very popular kangaroo back in the day. Skippy peanut butter. But no, people just want to like go hardcore, either vegan or anti-vegan or people who don't care either way, but are like, why are you trying to be up in my business? And I'm like, I'm not. I just want a table for four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a life. It's a decision I've made, but it's a life. Um, it's kind of like a strongly identified nickname. Yeah. 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 When I went to college, my mom was like, You could start anew. Like, no one has to know that you're Skip Bacon. You could just go back to Sarah Rochelle. Like, I baptized you. And I was like, A, no one's called me that for well over a decade. Uh-huh. And B, I've been published. I have like things under my name. Like, I have a career. I can't. I can't go back. And she was like, okay. So I think as I went to college, my mom said goodbye to Sarah Rochelle and 
just became okay with the fact that her daughter's name was Skip now. I yeah, she doesn't hate it or anything. She's just like I never thought that my daughter would be Skip Bacon. And then of course people are like, oh okay, so that's how you got Skip because you like had some attendance issues. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, where'd you get the bacon from? And I'm like, oh, Bacon's just my last name. And they're like, oh, that's not a very cool story. I'm like, what? It's a super cool story. That's just my name. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. I guess. I'm like, are you related to Kevin Bacon? No, Nathaniel Bacon. For any history buffs um, from Bacon's <laughs> Rebellion, he's very Googleable. It's a terrible slaughter of uh, Native Americans and settlers. He killed everyone, but it was bad. Wow. But that was him. But for everybody on the East Coast, um, Bacon's Academy was started by also one of our relatives, who was one of the first attorneys to ever work on behalf of the Natives on the East Coast. Uh, so she started translating services for them. And then started working as an attorney for them and then started Bacon's Academy, which was a school for everyone, but accepted and hand translation services for the local natives and is still an academy now. And my friend Alexa went to school there and we went to college together. And I was like, wow, wow, that was my family did that. And she was like, it's a great academy. It does great work. Still does a lot of social justice stuff. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, Nathaniel Bacon's the only one in the history books because he murdered a lot of people. Um, and that's like catchy. People love that murder stories. They take it off, but, uh, there was some non-murderous bacons, a a lady bacon nonetheless. So I'm of those bacons. Yeah. The the bacon educator. Um, will you talk about Catholic sex ed? I will talk about Catholic sex ed literally until I have no (laughs) breath left in my body. I will talk about Catholic sex ed because it is just my jam. It didn't start out as my jam. I started out just working as a Catholic minister, um, which is a cool job, but it's a weird job because people ask you about two things. One of which you're totally prepared for with my seven years of theological training, a master's degree in, in theology from the University of Notre Dame. People ask about faith things all the time. And I'm like, got it. I'm ready. I can answer all those questions. We've got some cute dogs here, by the way. Yes, we do. Uh-huh. You guys ready? They can't handle it. Oh, it's Gilbert. So people ask you about faith all the time, uh-huh. uh, but then people also immediately thereafter uh, started asking sex questions. Wow. Um, it was the first thing they would say. They would say, okay, so I get the gist. Uh, I'm good Catholic. I'm like, well, that's not really a thing. Being Catholic is a lifestyle and you know, there's no good or bad about it. And they're like, okay, what else, lady? Um, but like, how do you feel about like oral sex? Like, what's that about? And I'm like, okay, so what now? Like, I don't know how you got from where we were uh, to where we are now. And people would explain it to me. They would just say, you know, been a good Catholic, had this good Catholic life, um, married a guy who was the same. We had sex one time, then we got pregnant, had our kid, and now he doesn't want to have sex anymore because, you know, sex, I guess, is only for having babies, and I'm horny all the time, and he makes me feel like a slut a lot, and um, I don't know what to do because I thought that once I got married, I would be able to have sex with my husband because isn't that how it's supposed to work? What are the rules on this? Because, like, I just want something, like, anything. Can he give me oral? Like, I just want to have an orgasm again. I have one kid, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) These are wildly different whoa, what? And then a woman is just weeping openly in front of me and in front of her husband because she thinks she's a slut and it's Jesus's fault. And I'm like, this is an amount of trauma 
that has to be peeled back a by a professional. Like you are dealing with things that while I believe is trauma based in religious trauma, obviously has lent itself to a, a myriad of other, of other issues that you're not dealing with. And you're like, well, we tried to talk to a priest about it. I'm like time out. I said a professional, not a priest. Yeah. I said a professional. Um, and I, at first I was just dealing with it one-on-one with people who are like, Hey, you're my friend. I know you're an expert on this. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm a theologian. And they're like, oh, no, because you like sex a lot. Um, But I have some (laughs) questions for you. And I'm like, okay, you guys really misinterpret the meaning of expert. Like Mm -hmm. a priest is not an expert on all things psychological because he can hear your problems in confession. And I, as as a purveyor of the the sexual arts, am not an expert because of that. Like you guys are... When you say purveyor of the sexual arts, you mean like just a sexually active woman. A very, (laughs) very, to the point of what am I, you know, I think it would have been nice to have at one point been paid for it but because of legal reasons. I never did that for legal reasons only. So would have been, but I think this is why people turn to me. Um, And People try to like work their way around like, oh, but the church should be able to give advice on this stuff. And the thing that I say most frequently um, is that as a professional and as a theological professional, not a sexual professional, but as 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 a a theological professional, but also a sexually active, healthy woman. um, I know that the Catholic Church is not prepared to handle these things because they can't even handle Christ nipples because 80% of crucifixes, which are those little crosses that have the lifeless corpse of Jesus hanging from Mm -hmm. 80% of those Jesuses do not have nipples. And if you find the nipples of a recently murdered Jewish man to be so over-sexualized that you have removed them from crucifixes, then you don't get to give me sex advice. But like people... Oh, people all the time. I'm like, what does Jesus always have though? He's got like a six pack and you're imagining it. Like even if it's painted on, he has a six pack. His quads are always super ripped. You can see him from like every angle of a church. His, his thighs are just like perfect. And people are like, um, yeah, but skip back in the day, they had really good diets and they like walked everywhere. Did the sands of the desert to remove his nipples? He also would have had nipple. Like, what are you talking about? If that is what you find, to be too over-sexualized, murdered, a recently murdered Jewish man's nipples uh-huh. in the theology of everything, then you're not ready to give the advice that people are going to come to you for. You have to start redirecting these folks or make some really, really drastic because I believe the Catholic Church has an amazing and an empowering theology of body. I think it has everything, literally the entire story of Christianity is all of creation, all of all of everything that ever was, that will be, that is, came into this world in human flesh. Could have done it like Terminator style, like just showed up, could have showed up in an egg, could have shown up as a dinosaur. Like these are all things that if we are to believe the story of Christianity are well within the realm of possibility, but instead decided to show up in the form of a regular human, and in the way we all become human, 
And it was through a female body, not a magical female body, not a unicorn female body, a female body with muffin top, a female body with acne, a female body with hair that never looks right, whatever, a female body exactly like mine was what was chosen for that. And this is at the center of all of the stories that we tell as Christians and everything we believe is that culminating event is a womb. God, we talk about that womb all the freaking time. What about those nipples? What about this vaginal canal? Like these are really empowering and beautiful things that we have specifically as Christians as a part of our story and a part of our history. And it is, you cannot remove any of that from our history. If you remove even one nipple, one nipple, just a set. If you were to remove Mary's nipples from this story, our story ends. And if you were to, if you were to remove, mm, I don't know, let's say you went around telling everybody that Jesus never had erections because he didn't have things that were dirty or sinful or whatever. Little boys get morning wood, man. There's nothing evil about this. This is how human bodies work. And if you take away Jesus's morning wood, you take away a part of who he was as a human. And that is a part of our story. We will never let go. That is an integral part of who we are as Christians. And we have to hold on to it. And we have to hold on to all of it. And I think when we do that, it really changes our narrative. And a woman who is saying, am I a slut because I want sex? No, of course you're not. Because this is our human body, your body, like the woman who gave birth to all of creation. Your body is just like hers. Your body is doing a thing that our bodies do. Little boys are not afraid of their erections anymore because the creator, all of creation was born into a body who had morning wood just like you. Jesus went through puberty. He super went through puberty. I'm guessing he went through it super hard because no one wrote about him until he was on the other side of puberty. We have no puberty stories of Jesus. What was that morning wood? Was it so intense they had to burn all those stories? Like, I don't know. Well, I think so my theological understanding, and this is just, you know, through other people's interpretations, is that like there was a Christ consciousness moment, right? Like, so like there's those like those dry years of like Jesus growing up and then like he becomes the Christ. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, he was just a regular dude. Carpenter's son tinkering away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Having 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 morning wood. wood. Having morning wood. As a carpenter's son. Very appropriate. He was being a carpenter, having morning wood, pun intended. Uh And uh, yeah. And living with a mom who Probably because of the way she gave birth, had some pretty severe vaginal tearing. We should talk about that when we're walking women through, like, what's your vagina like now? I'm a Christian lady. Oh, perfect. We have a perfect vagina for you to think about. Like, we'll help you through this. All all of that. So tell me what your is. I feel like you do. Tell me what you do in the Catholic sex arena in uh, terms of Catholic sex ed. Like, where do people go? Like, people, what, where do you send people? My current, my I feel like my current calling is purely redirection. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot of education about uh, who is uh, prepared to handle your questions, who you should be asking questions to, where you should be seeking advice and where you shouldn't. Um, Because I do think it's very, it's, I know, I know it's common practice for couples to say, Hey, we're having a problem. We should talk to our priest. Maybe a single celibate male isn't the right place (laughs) for you to seek marriage (laughs) advice about your sex life or literally anything outside of the theological happenings 
of the Catholic Church, which even in those instances, I've worked in many churches where he was not the most theologically trained person. He was our pastor. He's good at leading people, sometimes good at homilies. There you go. Um, if you want some, I'm always like, just go see a doctor. And they're like, well, I have theology questions. Go see a doctor of theology. There are a bunch of them. <laughs> they're probably not busy. Um, if you've got questions, I've, I've got friends who say, you know, hey, I've got a lot of pain with sex, but I think it has to do with like ugh, me being self-conscious about sex being dirty and wrong. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, you need to see a physician right away. Please don't hesitate. Don't wait a second ever for any of that. Um, because this is your body we're talking about and it is strongly connected to your mind. And this is not a connection that a priest has been trained to acknowledge. <laughs> you should probably seek professional help. Um, there are sex experts in literally every city I've ever lived in. When people are like, I don't think there's anybody near me in Kentucky. No, there is. I just Googled it. Uh, you can call her tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> there are experts everywhere on everything. And so working in the Catholic arena and letting people know that there are experts and you're not reaching out to them. And this is one of the biggest problems um, because nothing makes you feel worse. Like if you're feeling shame and pain, and theological confusion and sexual confusion. And you go talk to a celibate male who lives in a house of 10 other celibate males, you're only going to come out with more questions. Things are not going to be clarified for you. Um, and that just leaves you feeling isolated and alone. Uh, those are very, and then your mind is directly tied to your body. Things are only going to get worse and worse. So I think one of the best things that I do is redirect people. I am not a doctor. <laughs> Like people are like, yeah, but you super like sex. I'm like, my mom super likes sex. Like, let's not talk about that. Like, I super like a lot of things, but what I like the most is you having a healthy spiritual life, a healthy physical life, and those two things being able to come together. Um, one of my favorite parts of my of my jobs has been that people call me a faith formation director. Oh. So forming people's faiths, I think a part of that is helping you understand where you need to be and who you need to be with to be the healthiest version of yourself. Oh, amen. Um, it's my favorite thing. And like, I have to tell people all the time who maybe like Catholicism isn't a good fit for you. That trauma may never be able to be overcome. And you may have to let the things that you were taught and indoctrinated with, you may have to let those go. And that may be the answer. And so people oftentimes are like, yeah, but what would I be? And I'm like, literally everything, anything. Uh -huh. And to be able to help you understand that and find a place where your faith thrives is my objective. And people are like, well, what if I'm not Catholic? I'm like, oh, I don't work on commission. Like, I don't, I don't know how you think this works, but it's not a commission based thing. If you go to another church, I've done my job successfully. If your faith has been formed and you are able to grow and develop into the happy, healthy person you should be, yeah. this is my job. Um, uh, that being said, I think the Catholic church is a great place. Like that that idea, of, especially for women, but also for men, but the empowerment of body that I think Catholicism has to offer, the multiple ways of connecting with creation that you can really tap into. There just isn't a type of person you can't be as a Catholic, but if you can't get over the trauma that Catholicism has caused you, then you can never be any of those versions of yourself safely and in a healthy way. So by all means, find another place to live that. Oh. And a lot of people who have experienced trauma with Catholicism were not, um, I think, probably exposed to a theologian like yourself who has anything other than like the dogmatic Catholic. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I know things have changed, but not for everybody. No, not for everybody. Yeah. And even people 
it's funny because when I give talks about um, Christian sexuality, like to a room full of women who all considered themselves very progressive, very out there, don't worry, they were all white. Uh, they heard me giving this talk and there was probably one table, like maybe eight women under the age of 40 and everyone else was over the age of 60. And as I was giving this, like one lady was like, I mean, that's cute, Skip Bacon, that you think this is something we need to talk about, but we burned our bras, we took care of this. And those women at that table who were under 30 started crying openly and said, You're, you left us here. You left us with broken theology. You left us with ideas of what we should have and never got. You dropped the ball. We don't know what to do. And this is the reality we live in. And now we just have a whole room of women crying. Because those women over 60 really did think, no, we, we, we burned bras. We, we broke that. You can be that, that person liberated and sexually empowered. And they're like, yeah, I'm also Catholic. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Am I supposed to be uh, slutty, but married, but only for procreation, but only for you didn't fix things. You moved into a secular world. You burned your bras you had that life and you left me here as a Catholic girl because we were still all in Catholic schools learning to be good Catholic girls while you burned your bras and you left us here. And they were so pissed at those ladies and those ladies were so sad at that realization. And it's one of the hardest things that, because people do, they, people oftentimes are just like, oh, that all got taken care of. You're just dealing with a handful of, I'm not dealing with a handful of people, I'm dealing with generational oppression of sexuality that I know you thought you overcame, but it's not a one and done thing. This is a constant growth of faith and faith has to change how we develop our faith and how we learn it and how we make it a part of our lives has to change. You cannot just call things religious education on a Sunday once, once a week and then do that till they're right at the age where they really need to ask questions and then say, Oh, now you're confirmed. So we don't need to talk to you anymore. And so you have your own kids. I'm like, Great. Right. When they start asking questions and then right after they've stopped. Um, and so I think it's not only about how the world has changed for women in sexuality and all humans in sexuality. And but it's also about how faith has not changed um, and how those two things really left women, families, couples, all individuals in a really awful awful place where they don't know who to ask. They don't know where to go to. So I think one of my biggest jobs is helping people understand what forming faith means and who to ask, Mm -hmm. who to ask when I'm confused about sex, who to ask when I'm up all night crying because I think my husband thinks I'm a slut. You need to talk to somebody about that relationship and your mental health. And that is not a celibate single male. It's just not. And when sex hurts, do not Talk to your priest about it. Talk to a medical professional mm-hmm. to make sure you're getting the holistic health care you need. Those are just real facts. Yeah. And I don't need to be a doctor. I don't even need to be a theologian to know these things. But I am in a place where people ask me those things. Um, so I feel really blessed to have been raised the way I was with the type of faith that I was uh, to be able to say to people, hey, I can help you get where you need to go. And I promise uh, it's theologically sound, like all the time. I, I feel like I, I say I have a master's degree in theology from the University of Notre Dame more than I ever thought I would have to. Um, because people are just like, I don't know, lady. That doesn't seem right. I'm like, I got a certificate. Is that how any? I promise it's right. Um, also, if anybody out there is having pain with sex, um, I talked about it on an earlier episode of my podcast with Ashley Manta, who is a sex educator in cannabis. So she does cannabis sex. And we talked about like utilizing cannabis to help with pain with sex. See, so an expert, an, an actual sex expert. 
Not an expert about Catholicism necessarily, no. but I do feel like maybe she went to Catholic school. Anyway, whatever. Um, I feel like that's how almost all sexual experts came about. <laughs> there were Catholic school girls at one point. Uh-huh. I mean, that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so if somebody is on a faith journey, how would you suggest they sort of begin exploring that? Um, my favorite thing to tell people is to learn what uh, human faith development looks like. It's a really empowering thing. A lot of people think, oh, I just never paid. Like come, people come down on themselves so dang hard. It's probably their grandma's fault. I love grandmas, but a lot of Catholic grandmas make us feel real bad about where we're headed and why we don't just believe blindly. And that can be a lot of pain. So a lot of people um, come down on themselves real hard and say, I just, I know somebody taught me this when I was a kid and I should have kept reading the Bible or I should have kept reading these books about religion or I should have this or that and the other. Uh, so I really encourage people and I, I probably carry a picture with, with me on my phone all the time of what the stages of faith development look like. And that as humans, it's just a thing we go through. Um, it's a thing that's age specific. It's a thing that you'd be able to plot your life on this faith development chart. And so that people would stop seeing themselves as coming into the wrong time or coming in too late, or I should have done this then, or I know I shouldn't have waited till I had a kid or, and that people could look at this chart of human life. And see that this is just how we develop as humans. There are times in our lives that are ripe for this. There are times that are really bad for this. Uh, Most formal religious education is not set up for human faith development. Hmm. It's set up for when your parents still have control over you and we can get this stuff into you. It's not set up for when a human brain, a human psyche, a human person is most ready for faith development. Which is when is so it depends. It all depends on the scale and what type of faith development we're talking about. So a lot of times people in their early 20s or when they're leaving their home. So when you look at the little chart, it kind of says this is kind of an average age range if you're in the United States, um, but also life events that go along with it. So it's not an age, it's a life event. So leaving the nest for the first time, uh, that's the first time that you really start to let go of all prior indoctrinations, whatever they are. So if it's Catholic, then you start letting go of all the things that Catholicism taught you um, to, to try and develop. And a lot of people are like, I know that's just when I went through my crazy stage. And I'm like, well, psychologically speaking, you were learning a lot all at once from a lot of different places. It wasn't that just like, I just wanted to see what it was like to sleep with 13 frat guys in a weekend. Like, no, you, you were going through a psychological phase that caused those things to be necessary and they're good and this is healthy. It's when we let go of a lot of faith things. Other people on that same chart cling on to things so hard. They've never, they've never clinged to stuff they understood so much less in their lives. And they cling hard. And it has consequences. And you can watch on this faith development chart what happens for those people, what happens for the people who let go. It, it was like on my chart, it's like a little brain explosion. And I watched all these kids when I was in college just say, I just learned all this stuff about the Bible. And if that's not true, and I didn't know that the Bible, the books of the Testament or the New Testament weren't written by dudes named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was just like randos who wrote the Bible and their brains explode. And they let go of everything because nothing is truth anymore. But this is the time when that happens. So what I encourage people to do is look at a, look at a chart, look at a chart, a psychological development, a faith development and see yourself on it and be okay with where you are. Because it's where you're supposed to be. That's what needs to be happening. There's not a late time, a wrong time, a wrong reason to come to those things. And knowing that 
and starting your journey there is the most important thing. So if you're, if you think you're already super far along on that journey, I'm going to stop you and make you tell me where you are and tell me why you're there and be okay with it. Because every other thing is, is, is just a wrong way to start your journey. Cause I don't want you starting it. Well, I got a divorce and I really had to rethink things. Hey, that can be a part of this journey, but please don't make it like you're only doing this for that or only because of that. You're doing this because this is an important thing to you and let's do it for those reasons, knowing those things and then go forward. So I just want to say like being in full radical acceptance of where you are is actually uh, really psychologically important in terms of making any change in your life, not just about faith, but also like in terms of body acceptance, like if you're going to do anything about learning to love your body, the first thing you have to do is to get really accepting of where your body's at, what your body's doing and the changes that are just happening because you're a human. Because you're a human. Um, I also just talked at length with my therapist this week about like just being in radical acceptance with what the reality is without like, um, because he and I talk a lot about like Abraham Hicks. Do you know Abraham Mm -hmm. Hicks? Yeah. So we talk a lot about like really like, big metaphysical stuff. And I'm like, so I want to be in this feeling tone of like wealth and abundance. But then like the reality is like my bank account is, has different things to say to me. And so we were talking about just like being in that acceptance space of like what is, but also not allowing that to like dictate your feeling tone. Yeah. So it's true. Like in your faith discovery journey too, like not thinking that you should be somewhere yeah. that you're not and just accepting where you are and allowing it to be a place of curiosity. I think that's and it's, and it's, uh, gosh, what is it, Augustine? I don't know. I'm terrible to remember names, but faith must always seek understanding. And if faith doesn't seek understanding, it's not faith. That's not where we're starting from. If you're just seeking to, I just want to know all these prayers and I just want to get into this church and I just want to, that's not faith. It's something else. Yeah, it's more like hey, dogma. It could be. And hey, there are people I know, well, I literally knew a man who said, I am the most, he literally said this. I'm the most liberal and liberated Catholic you've ever known. Not a true story. He is not. And he said, because I have all the rules of the Catholic church to live inside of, and I don't have to ever think outside of them. I am so liberated. And I was like, yikes. So, well, that is a terrifying. All right. So that faith is not seeking understanding. That faith is seeking the opposite of understanding. That is a, a, a uh, the truest form of an acceptance of ignorance I have ever known in my life. It's a terrifying thing. And he was a terrible human, but that is the opposite. <laughs> seek that understanding. And for all of the reasons that you want to seek it, but I hate it. I tell people all the time. I'm like, you can't shit on yourself. I can't teach you that enough. And I know you think the whole rest of the world is, and they are, they are, you should go on this diet and you should be married by this age. And you should, people shit on you all the time. Mm-hmm. You cannot shit on yourself. Mm-mm. You cannot. And I cannot start a journey with you or help you hear your own journey until you know that you can't shit on yourself. And I'm not going to either. What should I do, Skip? Nah, you can't. I, I can't. That's not my job. My job is not that. Uh, that's just not how it works. And I'm not full of answers. But that was a journey for me, too. I went into undergraduate saying, Hey, I just need to learn all the rules of the Catholic church so I can tell people and they'll be happy. And they were like, Oh, that might not be what people are, you know, need in ministry. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know. I think so. I'm 17. I'm pretty sure I get it. Uh, so we all start like that Mm -hmm. and we all go on journeys. And and it, it was so liberating for me to see that little faith formation journey outline, just so clearly saying, Hey human, 
this is good. This is what humans do. You're humaning quite well. And I was like, oh, cool. So I'm not just like losing my mind and asking questions that no one's ever asked. And just like the, the little chart was like, no. And the guy's name is Fowler. He was a psychologist and a theologian. And he put together this extremely accurate chart that really just helps say, hey, this is what humans do and why. You should think about it when you think about your faith. And then start there with your own journey. Know where you are. Be there. And most of the time when people start there, they're just like, oh my God, I can literally learn and be anything. And I'm like, well, that's how humans work. Yeah, you can. No question you ask is going to break your faith. No question you ask. Oh, tons of questions. People are like, yeah, uh-huh. there's a, like a ton of things that if I believed, I wouldn't be Catholic. Oh, well, yeah, that's a different set of paradigm. That's, yeah, well, for sure. Absolutely. All that stuff you said is super not Catholic. And they're like, what? but it's what I think. And I'm like, then that's who you are. And that doesn't have to be Catholic. You know that. Right. And at that point, usually people are okay with the fact that, yeah, that might not be who I am. That may not be how I celebrate my faith. That's a beautiful thing to know. Uh, it's a difficult thing for a lot of people, particularly people who were raised Catholic. So much stuff to unlearn. Okay. So skip bacon. <coughs> Where can people find you in the world online? On the internet, I have a a weekly podcast, uh, the Die Laughing Podcast, with host Morty the Mortician. I am your co-host, Skip Bacon. It's on Spotify. What's it called? Podme. All the places that you can find podcasts, it's on there. Um, I perform regularly uh, in Sacramento as a stand-up. You can find me there. I don't know where else on the internet. You can ask my high school boyfriend. He's real good at finding me on the internet. Uh... (laughs) Well, you did mention him by name on a podcast. Yeah, I did mention him by name. I mean, you were just saying that earlier. So I did. You know. I did. I, I right. did. That's and he, right. he found me across, uh-huh. across the nation. That man found me on the internet. Yeah. Uh, that's how you find me on Spotify. Um, uh, I know my stand-up sometimes is on the internet. Mutiny Radio has a podcast called Some Call Me Tim. It's a religion podcast. I was on that podcast and some of their comedy specials. So Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Um, Where else on the internet? I don't know. You could Google me. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't listen. I was trying to write a bull and it's a lot harder than it looks. And I was totally sober. Just don't Google me. Now people are going, all right, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Writing a bull is hard is all I'm saying. Before you Google me, just know that. Writing a bull is hard. Thank you so much, Skip, for being on the podcast. Of course. I appreciate you so much. Uh, we know each other because our Catholic aunts live next door to each other. That's so precious. In Camarillo. <laughs> Camarillo, <laughs> California. I love very, you, Aunt uh-huh. I love you, Aunt Sherry. I don't think she listens to my podcast. <laughs> I, don't I really what? hope she doesn't. I don't think Aunt does either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Wherever you are, I hope you know that you are worthy of love exactly as you are. You are amazing. You have a purpose on your life, and you are here to fulfill it. And I just hope that you know that it is important that you figure out who you are and be that on purpose. Talk to you next week.